You're listening to the Theology for the Church podcast, a resource that aims to foster serious theological thinking that is framed by the biblical story and applied to the Christian life. I'm your host, Caleb Leonard, and on this show, I cover all kinds of topics and themes in Christian doctrine, biblical theology, and Christian formation through conversations with authors, pastors, biblical scholars, and theologians from across the globe. If you are looking for theologically rich conversations that also have an eye toward applied theology and a heart for the local church, you've come to the right place. I hope you enjoy and are encouraged by the episodes you find here. Welcome to the Theology for the Church podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Andreas Kostenberger to discuss the theology of John's gospel account. Uh, Dr. Kostenberger, thank you for joining me for this conversation. I'm excited to talk about the the gospel of John with you today. It's a privilege, uh, Caleb. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's the first time we've had a conversation on, on this show, and so Tell us a little bit uh, about yourself and, and what your uh, kind of spiritual life and testimony and family and it, what, what do you do for a living? Some of the th- some of your favorite projects you've worked on, those type of things. Sure. Um, well, I, uh, I was born and uh, grew up in, uh, in Europe, in Vienna, Austria, uh, speaking German and um, didn't become a Christian until I was about 23 years old, kind of toward the end of of grad school. Uh, met a, an American uh, uh, opera student uh, while traveling who shared um, you know, her faith with me. And uh, it really struck me as, as just accurately describing where I was in my life at that time. Mm. It was a passage from Galatians um, 5 on, on the fruit of a spirit and the, the deeds of the flesh. And um, it just made me realize that there are a lot of broken lives around me. I didn't immediately understand myself as a sinner, but I, um, upon returning from the trip, got myself a a Bible and an English Bible, and started reading it uh, pretty much cover to cover. Just uh, having a real hunger for God's Word, never having really read the Bible or heard the Bible. Uh, and over the course of about six months, I gradually, with a little bit of help from from others, uh, came to realize that that I didn't just need somebody to help me do better in my life, but mm-hmm. that, as a sinner who who couldn't save myself, uh, you know, who who needed uh, a savior, and I trusted Christ, and and it was a pretty uh, radical change of direction. Uh, I immediately realized that, that that God had a claim on my life that um, uh, I wanted to serve Him. I uh, took me a couple years to uh, save up and and liquidate some of my assets so I could go to seminary and uh, and uh, and study of the Bible uh, growing my my you know ability to follow Jesus as his disciple uh, I uh, I met my wife in seminary who's uh, from Canada from Toronto uh, who had a pretty similar experience also growing up in a non-christian home and uh, sure uh, in her case becoming a, a Christian right before college. And so then we uh, we got married. We went to uh, Chicago, where I got my uh, my doctorate in in, in New Testament. Uh, studied under uh, Bia Carson, who was at that time uh, finishing his commentary on the Gospel of John. So mm, I'm yeah, very blessed to have you know a mentor who's as as highly regarded as a as an expert in the Gospel of John. I uh, wrote my own uh, doctoral dissertation on John twenty twenty one. It's the Father sent me, so I'm sending you uh, the Johanna and Great Commissioning passage, which was a wonderful uh, in depth you know study of just that one verse of yeah of John in in with regard to the the, the Johanna mission theme, uh, and uh, and then I, I 
taught seminary first in Canada and then in the uh, in the states uh, for close to thirty years, and then uh, just a year ago, I stepped uh, away from full time seminary teaching, and I'm now uh, you know uh, self employed. I I I write. I I teach different places as I have the opportunity, and and my wife and I also enjoy uh, jointly uh, doing parenting conferences at churches, um, you know, and and we also have a kind of a growing hospitality ministry where we equip uh, leaders uh, just through hospitality in our home. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with us. I know for for myself and my own. Uh, ministry. I've I've read many many of your books and been really helped by it. So I'm I'm uh, looking forward to to this conversation. So I, I appreciate it. You know, maybe before we get into you know kind of a, a little bit more of of the weeds of the theology of John's gospel, I think it's helpful because sometimes you know bit, listeners will be coming into you know, the car and they turn, turn this on, uh, whenever that is. And it's been a while since they've read, uh, the gospel of John, or, or maybe it's been a little bit since they've uh, read a gospel in general. And so maybe what are kind of some of the basic facts and historical context in, in, in which the gospel came to be? So, so just kind of at a surface level, things like, you know, who, who wrote John, you know, when, when and where, uh, who's it written to, and then what what's his reason for for writing? Just just some kind of uh, intro questions like that. If you could help us out a little bit, yeah. yeah you know, it's uh, it's a great place to start to think a little bit about. You know, that gospel didn't come into being by itself. Didn't write itself. Somebody yeah. wrote, it. <laughs> and uh, clearly, it it reflects the interests and the personality, and you know, even the spirituality of. Uh, of that person, and uh, of course, the, the title is the Gospel according to John, and there was really only one person at that time that could be identified simply by his first name, and then pretty much everybody <laughs> yeah. knew who he was, uh, other than John the Baptist. And you know, in in that case, even there, you have John the Baptist. Uh, mm-hmm. But so this John uh, was one who was very closely. Uh, a very close follower of Jesus. And I think that is so important to remember, that as we read the gospel, uh, there's an incredible amount of credibility that comes with it, because this is written not just by, you know, somebody who did some research later or who heard it from somebody who was close to Jesus, but Mm -hmm. but, uh, the gospel itself claims that John was there in the upper room. He was sitting right next to Jesus. Uh, he, He was at you know, in the in the high priest's courtyard there at the trial, he 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 was at the cross. Uh, he uh, he was one of the first at the empty tomb, um, and he saw the risen Jesus multiple times, along with uh, you know many of the others. Uh, so here's someone who uh, can tell us uh, a lot about who Jesus was, what he claimed to be. And uh, he remembers. So it helps you realize that the Gospel of John is essentially eyewitness testimony. It's, mm-hmm. you know, you think about a court setting, you think about somebody who describes, say, an accident they witnessed or, or some yeah. other event, and they were there when it happened. So they can tell you what they saw, what they heard. As a matter of fact, First John starts out that way, right? What we've seen with our own eyes, what we've mm-hmm. heard with our own ears, what we've uh, touched, right? That's what I'm writing about. And so that's one thing I love about the Gospel of John, that it has this ring of authenticity to it. Uh, it's deeply personal, you know? Yeah. Sometimes scholars today, they, they try to be dispassionate observers and neutral critics and so forth. John was not interested in that at all. He didn't think that that was a liability for him to actually love Jesus, to have followed him. Yeah. No, uh, but for him, uh, he wrote out of love. He was the disciple Jesus loved, and so that was one way for him to to love Jesus by by recording, uh, you know, uh, some of the most important experiences that he had following Jesus. Now that's that's really helpful. And 
You know, you kind of get that sense when you're reading the Gospel of John that uh, that this is a man who's who's writing that that misses his friend. That you know that that there's that intimacy uh, that that you hinted at, and it's here's this portrait of the it, and it's more than this, but but it's still that portrait of this is the this is the man that I uh, was my best friend that I came to know and love that is the, the eternal son of God come in the flesh, right. To, for, to, to save humanity from, from their sin. And so I think that's really, really essential to, uh, to grasp there. And, and so maybe what would be uh, for, for our listeners out there, just kind of the basic structure or outline of, of the gospel account mm-hmm. that would be, you know, here's some things that we can, you know, hang our hat on as we're reading the individual passages that this would be kind of a, a literary unit that, that kind of could tie uh, the, the the book together so that we have at least that uh, kind of mental map in, in our minds as we yeah. uh, move through this conversation and highlight some of the key themes and things. Yeah, I think it's very helpful to have a sense of the whole right before we uh, dig into parts of a gospel. I, that's what I always tell my uh, my Bible students, and so I think that's a great question to start out. You know, right after uh, you know looking at who wrote the gospel, and I think John was a very thoughtful person, very thoughtful writer. Uh, and when you look at the gospel, you you see clear evidence of, you know, literary design. In other words, I think John didn't just kind of randomly stream of consciousness yeah. <laughs> type start writing. I mean, he thought about, you know, how am I going to tell the story? So there's symmetry, first of all. You have a prologue at the beginning, he, uh, the longest, you know, prologue or preamble in any of the Gospels. You also then have uh, matching on the other side of a Gospel, an epilogue. The entire chapter 21 is is kind of a story or a series of stories after he's already told us, you know, the purpose for writing. And then it almost looked like the Gospel has already concluded, but then he mm-hmm. has an epilogue, which is a very... A uh, skillful way of telling a story. You know, even today, there's many times you have books written that have this epilogue where you address the reader more directly and you sure. give them something kind of a, almost like a bonus feature uh, when the story is already yeah. uh, over. <laughs> and then uh, the, the gospel proper essentially has two parts to it. Uh, it has the first half. It's almost like a, a play in a theater. You know, I, I, I used to love the theater, still do, but don't yeah. get there quite as often. But so you have Act One, if you will, uh, which is essentially Jesus's seven signs, selected signs uh, that he gave particularly to the Jewish people to demonstrate himself uh, as the Messiah that the Jewish people expected based on the Hebrew scriptures, based on the Old Testament. And then uh, that part one, act one, ends on a note of uh, unbelief. Uh, Sadly, the Jewish authorities uh, were determined to reject Jesus' claims uh, that he was the Messiah. And so then the second half, where, you know, act two, if you will, uh, Jesus then turns to his inner circle, to that believing Jewish remnant, and he's equipping them for their mission. Uh, and that, of course, culminates in that Johannine commissioning statement, as the Father sent me, so send I you. So that would be uh, Act 2. That also includes this famous passage, the Upper Room or Farewell Discourse, which is unique yeah. to God's Gospel. You don't have it in any of the other Gospels, where you basically have this glimpse in the Upper Room the night before Jesus uh, was crucified, and you hear about how he instructs his followers about uh, the coming Holy Spirit, about you know what would happen when he dies and comes back to life. So it's just uh, just incredibly intimate uh, and 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 insightful for all of us who you know want to know. So what happened the night before Jesus died? Yeah, that's that's really insightful, and and maybe you kind of go along with that because you, you kind of led us in, in this direction uh, anyway. But I want to ask you because we have four gospel accounts, right? 
So, so what's unique? A lot of times, especially as a pastor uh, with new believers or unbelievers, why, why is there four, you know, why is there four gospel accounts or how are we supposed to fit those together? So maybe first, what's unique about John's writing style, especially compared to the, you know, synoptic gospels? And then I always like to ask uh, this, this question, what, why do we need four gospels? Why, why do we need the, the, the gospel of, of John? What, what does he uniquely contribute uh, that's necessary for us to be able to see kind of this full portrait as much as humanly possible of uh, Jesus Christ? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's widely recognized that John was the last to write his gospel. In other words, there were already three gospels, you know, perfectly good gospels uh, available at the time, Matthew, yeah. Mark, and Luke. And so uh, clearly there was a bit of a, a burden on him to show that a fourth gospel even needed to be written. Of course, we ultimately believe that John wrote under inspiration. And so God prompted him to, to write. It was ultimately God's will for us to have four Gospels. Um, but in terms of uh, how John is different from the other three, well, yes, I believe he actually knew about the, the first three Gospels, and he had them available, so he knew what they said, and so he consciously uh, sought to uh, not just duplicate what's already in there, mm -hmm. uh, but to supplement it and to provide information that they didn't include, and in many cases to go deeper. Uh, so uh, uh, he includes uh, stories like, uh, you know, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, or the Samaritan woman. Uh, he has the raising of Lazarus, uh, beloved characters that, you know, are not even mentioned in the earlier Gospels. So he yeah. was able to on this treasure trove of eyewitness recollection and to just look at the earlier three gospels and say what else you know kind of contribute to kind of round out the yeah. what the holy church called the fourfold gospel um in terms of his writing style i would say uh he's very simple in his language and his vocabulary, uh, which I love, but at the same time, he's very profound. And in, in, in the, the, the reason or the way he can be very profound is because he's highly selective. So I would say his selectivity really stands out. When you look at the other Gospels, they have those shorter stories or pericope, as they're called, those shorter snippets or literary units, yeah. healing or... Uh, you know, demon exorcism, whatever, like think of Mark, for example. And so in a rapid succession, they string together, you know, yeah, a lot yeah, of, that's right. of stories. Uh, John, on the other hand, selects very, very few uh, of those accounts, but he gives you a lot of detail. Typically, he has a given miracle or, as he calls it, a sign of Jesus. Uh, and then he typically has a lengthy teaching portion or discourse. Uh, for example, the feeding of the 5,000 is one event that is in all four Gospels. So there John does include it, even though it's already there in the earlier three. But yeah. in addition, he gives you what people call the bread of life discourse. In other words, uh, he explains that the deeper meaning of the feeding is not just to feed people for a day, uh, but rather it, it, it shows something about his own nature, that he can give them bread because he is— the bread himself, meaning he is the giver of life. He is, uh, in some ways, you know, continuing God's story with Israel. Moses gave Israel the man in the wilderness. And so he's not just giving people the bread. He is the bread, you know, and that's yeah. simple, but it's also very profound. It really makes you think, you know, who does, is yeah. Jesus? Um, so those will be just a few thoughts on. Uh, you know, his relationship to the earlier Gospels and uh, and his writing style. Now, in terms of why did God give us four Gospels? Well, I don't really know. Uh, the one thing I might say is that there's this uh, requirement in the Old Testament that any fact is established by a minimum of two or three witnesses. And so it's almost like God is giving us an overabundance, right? He doesn't give us two or three Gospels. He gives us four, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so in some ways, it just kind of is a capstone Gospel, even when you look at our New Testament. 
John is the fourth and final gospel. And at the end of that, it says now Jesus did many other things that, you know, there is no space to include, but these are written that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So that's some sort of a summary, not just of John's gospel, canonically speaking, but of of all the gospels. Yeah, no, that's really that's really helpful. And it just kind of seeing how they they all portray truth, right? The same story about Jesus, but with different yep. emphases conveyed through their their own personalities and their own experiences with uh, with Christ, because they're human beings, right? But it's and so what they write is what God wanted written. So we believe about the inspiration of Scripture, right? But that it, it's conveyed through uh, the, the unique experiences and, and gifts and uh, through the design, right? That the, they, they were thoughtful and and selective, and they played off of each other. I think that's really uh, really helpful. And I always like to try to uh, understand also that the gospel writers, their particular interest in the Old Testament. And so I'm curious, um, as you studied the gospel of John, um, how would you encourage Christians reading today when they come to the gospel of John to think about uh, maybe certain uh, emphases that John has regarding Old Testament stories or themes or a particular interest for for John uh, that maybe he shares with the other gospel writers or that maybe is actually highlighted more specifically in in John. So how does John use the Old Testament? I know that's kind of a large question, but you know, just generally speaking, uh, what place does it play in in his gospel to help us understand? who Christ is and kind of encourage us mm-hmm. as Christians today to dive into the the Old Testament to be able to really glean everything that John's trying to uh, present to us. Yeah. Well, like you said, that's a huge question. And, you know, in a short po- podcast, we really can't do full justice to it, but we can get yeah. people's appetite. Uh, and so let's try to do that. And again, maybe later we can talk about some additional resources if people want to dig deeper. But, yeah. But uh, in a nutshell, uh, I recently uh, worked on a book that was uh, it's my most recent book. It's simply called Biblical Theology. And in my research, I found uh, Richard Hayes' book, Echoes of Scripture in the Gospels, very helpful. Uh, because what he's talking about, you can gauge John's use of the Old Testament not only by direct quotations or even allusions, but, but in many ways, uh, John believes that Jesus was the fulfillment of and the c- continuation of Israel's story. So Jesus' story continues and fulfills Israel's story. And so when he's when, when Abraham is mentioned, or Moses, or Isaiah, uh, or David in John's Gospel, uh, John wants us to think about the entire narratives that are attached to and associated mm-hmm. with those characters. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, before Abraham was, I am, uh, John eight fifty eight. 58. Uh, John invokes in us the memory of Abraham and, uh, you know, his story in Genesis. Uh, same with Isaiah and his ministry uh, in, in John chapter 12. Same with David. Uh, so uh, we need to have a more holistic understanding that that for John, he didn't just kind of quote a verse here or there out of context or even yeah. in context. But, but he was, this is a living and breathing document. And so he was a Jewish person who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. He'd come in fulfillment of all the earlier figures, significant figures in Israel's history, and also, uh, and that is unique to John in many ways, that Jesus fulfilled the symbolism that was inherent in the Jewish festivals, Hmm. including Passover. Jesus was the Passover. Uh, Tabernacles. Jesus was the light of the world. He was the living water. Uh, Dedication, even. Uh, Jesus was the one who who brought truth uh, and uh, so you have the the sense that uh, now that Jesus has come, uh, he's also the new temple. He's the replacement of of the old yeah, temple. Yeah. Uh, so 
there's a whole new uh, life of worship that is directed no longer or, you know, lived out through observing those festivals uh, or to go to the temple. Now, um, everything is focused on on Jesus uh, as the Messiah and the Son of God. And so he's striking that note of fulfillment. And um, he's writing for, uh, you know, people who are aware of some of the Old Testament predictions, and he shows how Jesus fulfilled them, kind of like Matthew does as well in the other Gospels. Uh, but in some ways, uh, John is even more kind of broad and comprehensive in pretty much uh, showing that all the different lines of Old Testament uh, anticipation, you know, find their fulfillment in Jesus. Yeah, and I think that's really, really crucial, especially as we uh, are going to talk about some some themes uh, here, because you can see that, uh, you know, kind of the main theological themes we find in, in reading John's gospel, they're, they're kind of linked to uh, this fulfillment uh, theme of, of focusing on Christ. Like you said, there's, well, he's very selective, but he goes into more depth, right, to, to present us uh, kind of a, a more implicit maybe as far if you're looking for like a quotation but more explicit mm-hmm. in the fact that there's so much more content that okay. if if you're really immersed in the in the hebrew scriptures it's gonna just crawl off the pages uh for you and so what let's maybe think about some of these themes i, I think john saw jesus do things mm-hmm. as you mentioned corresponding to significant events and patterns and, and symbols in, in Israel's scriptures. And he interpreted Jesus as the fulfillment, uh, which the scriptures pointed to. So uh, let's think about some of those those main themes in John's gospel and, and what truths they're meant to communicate to us. So I, I wanted to ask you about uh, just John's use of, of sevens, right? There, there's seven mm-hmm. uh, titles uh, for Christ, right? In the, in the In the first chapter of John, there's as you mentioned, the seven signs, and then there's like the the sets of seven days, seven I am statements. So, uh, what's up with John's use of of sevens, and what's kind of the significance mm-hmm. of some of those things? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I think in Jewish life, seven was a number that conveyed perfection or completeness. And you know, I don't know where that came from, but at some point, that 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 came to be kind of an established, uh, you know, you might say numerical symbolism so that, that, that when people saw the number seven, there's enough of them, right. That you have a sense of, this is a complete number. It's a selection like, like we were talking about, but it is a sufficient, uh, you know, even comprehensive selection. You think in the book of revelation, you think of the letters to the seven churches and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, seven is, is, is a large enough sample, if you will, that it pretty much covers all the different types of churches. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so the same thing with the seven signs, you know, John selects those. He, he, he says in the purpose statement, Jesus did many other signs, but these are written that you may know. So he's saying this yeah. ought to be sufficient for you to, to know uh, that his claims are true. And in John's gospel, of course, the seventh sign is the raising of Lazarus. And I think that's a wonderful place to to climax that presentation in, because it's hard to imagine yeah. the, of a greater demonstration uh, than to raising a man from the dead who'd been dead for, in, in the tomb for four days. And yeah. uh, so, you know, I, I would agree with John. If, if I'd been him, I would have stopped there as well, because how can you top that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's, uh, it's really fascinating too, because he kind of highlights for you the first couple of, you know, couple of days. Right. And then you're just supposed to pick up on by reading the narrative, like, Oh, here's a, here's another one. Like here's another mm-hmm. sign. Here's another day. Or you see him, uh, you know, Jesus give these, you know, I am statements, you know, the the bread of life, yep. I am, you know, these in it's all connected to uh, some part of him fulfilling, you know, is Israel's story in himself. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's uh, re- really fascinating and, and just taking the time to when Jesus says that not to think like, OK, I generally get it or. That's kind of weird, <laughs> but to actually l- look at the look at your cross references, see see if there's what's the Old Testament reference there, or what's already happened uh, in in the narrative that that John's trying to build upon to 
you know, give you this full uh, color portrait that's vibrant, a portrait of who of who Jesus is. That he thinks it's essential that you know something about his his identity as as a person. Right. So I think John's extremely concerned with Christology uh, to to bring you know doctrine into the conversation that that we know he's fully human and fully divine, uh, but we get so so much. Uh, just so much information about the life of of Jesus too that sometimes we can get so mm-hmm. focused on uh, you know like the the cross is death and resurrection which is the climax that's that's yeah. important right but to see how much of his life uh, is, is portrayed here in in his identity that John goes after yeah this may talk a little bit more about the the signs specifically I yeah I, I wrote a book uh, Signs of the Messiah and there I talk about the fact that. John recasts the miracles that are recorded in the earlier Gospels, you know, where miracle means basically a demonstration of Jesus' power and also that he supersedes natural laws and he he does something that are humanly impossible. Uh, And of course, that is important. But then John recasts those miracles and he calls them signs. Now, why does he do that, right? That clearly is not a coincidence. You know, again, he had a purpose, I think a theological purpose. And as far as we're able to tell, the purpose is that he believes that if somebody saw the signs or experienced healing or was fed for a day, but missed what those signs pointed to, namely that Jesus is the Messiah, they really miss the primary purpose of why mm-hmm. Jesus yeah. performed them in the first place. Uh, and of course, that tragically happened with a lot of people in Jesus' ministry, that they they walked away and they didn't grasp, you know, who they just met, that would just uh, talk to them. And so I think this is very profound and very strategic that, that you know, you just think about in our lives, if you see a sign, Right. The, the sign is not what's important. <laughs> you follow what the sign is pointing yeah. to, highway, <laughs> yeah. exit, whatever. That's what's mm-hmm. important. And so in this case, what's important is Jesus, right? The one who's performing the signs. And mm-hmm. so many people get hung up on the sign itself. And so mm-hmm. I just love the fact that John is such a penetrating thinker and so spiritually yeah. minded that he grasps that. And he wants to impress that also on us, you know, those of us who are reading his gospel. Yeah, no, that that's a really powerful point, and I appreciate you sharing that perspective because I think it's a it's essential for us really realizing what, what what's it there for uh, it, it ultimately, and so maybe maybe to jump to a couple other other themes uh, now. Uh, mm-hmm. What what about? I, I think there's a sense when you're reading the Gospel of John, you've read through it a few times of of just. Um, I mean, this is apparent in every gospel, but I think particularly in John of, of just providence and, and sovereignty in the life of Christ, right? That there's all, there's these repeated statements of, uh, even John's parentheses statements, right? Well, it wasn't his time or because it wasn't, you know, time for this to happen and that it's not going to, even Jesus himself, right? If we look at the the wedding in, in, in chapter two, if like it's, it's, it's not my, t- you know, but so John says it, Jesus says it. there's kind of this overall sense of nothing is going to happen in the life of Jesus uh, too soon or too fast or not according uh, to the will and purposes of the triune God. And and so how's that kind of get developed and, and played out and what's its importance in the gospel, John? Yeah, maybe starting with what you already hinted at, the idea of Jesus's hour or his time. Uh, that phrase is mentioned in John's gospel several times, uh, you know, in a negative sense, you know, his hour had not yet come. Uh, and then in chapter 12, uh, kind of at the end of that first half that we we're talking about earlier, uh, startlingly, it says, my hour has now come. And so uh, for the reader, you know, that really your your attention level goes way up and, and you realize, okay, now we're getting close to the climax of of Jesus' story of that entire yeah. Johanna narrative. And I agree that it's born out of this sense of God's sovereignty, his divine providence, that, that, uh, that Jesus uh, was careful to 
to work within and and to respect. Of course, uh, you have that relationship between father and son that that, that John highlights. The idea that in his incarnate state, you know, during his earthly ministry, Jesus was fully submitted to the purposes of God the Father. He came mm-hmm. not his own will, but that of a father. He, he speaks his words. He accomplishes, uh, you know, uh, the mission that that God gave him. Um, and uh, I think to add to that, uh, probably most importantly, at the end of chapter 12, uh, John provides an explanation. How come if Jesus is the Messiah, that the Jewish nation rejected him? And I think all four Gospels have to deal with that, because there's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of both Jewish people and non-Jewish people uh, who say, you know, how can Jesus, how can there be a crucified Messiah? Remember, even Peter yeah. and the other disciples <laughs> didn't understand that. They believed he was the Messiah, but they didn't believe that he was going to be crucified. And so I think John's answer in chapter 12 is that that it was God planned and God ordained and God intended uh, because it would open up the way for uh, salvation to everyone. And uh, people are responsible for what to do with Jesus, but God is ultimately uh, still sovereign. And and mis- mysteriously, God hardened the hearts of the Jewish leaders. Mm-hmm. And so not only did they not believe, they ultimately could not believe. So there's this mystery. And I mentioned uh, my mentor, D.A. Carson, earlier. He wrote his doctoral dissertation on that very topic, divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Not mm. an easy topic to tackle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, as a doctoral student, but, uh, you know, he's Don Carson. So uh, <laughs> sure. I read that book and I learned a lot from him as well. It's again impossible to do justice to that in a in a short conversation. But in you know in in, in my book, uh, a theology of John's Gospel and Letters, I have an entire chapter on that. So again, you know, uh, there's a lot to think about, and John does a great job, uh, you know, directing our attention to this tension there is between uh, you know God sovereignly directing the course of history, and at the same time, the human agents, right, in the story of Jesus are fully responsible for the decisions they make. Yeah, and that's that's so uh, so true. And you even see that in, you know, Peter's sermons and early on in Acts, right, that, yeah. you know, he'll, he'll say that, that, that you crucified him, but it was according to the plan and, and purpose exactly. of God, right? And so it's a, uh, it, it, it's a, really powerful feature in, in John's gospel. It, it's one that it, it can be sobering, but also uh, does bring a lot of hope because uh, if, if there is uh, this divine eternal plan that the will of God to bring about salvation through his Messiah, Jesus Christ, then there's nothing that can thwart that. And that salvation uh, has come for for humanity, for all who trust and believe in Christ and, and turn from their sin, right? And so I, I think that it's also really encouraging and, and, it, and it ties into that kind of belief, unbelief uh, theme as well. Who are the true people of God? Uh, what What is eternal life? Uh, where Where can that be uh, found? So even in, you know, looking at kind of the famous story with Nicodemus and then uh, the woman at the well and, and looking at what what is eternal life and, and who provides eternal life? Where is it found? And just really profound things there. And even in the imagery itself of simple things, right? Of Is it nighttime or is it daytime when, when John's communicating these things to kind of look at life and death and, you know, good and evil. And it, it, it's, uh, it, it's, this, it's simple things, but they're meant to convey uh, something uh, to us, I think. And so um, anything that you would add to to some of those things that that I mentioned for our listeners? Yeah, you know, I think to those who are listening, divine sovereignty, human responsibility, that may sound kind of abstract. But, you know, if you're going through very practically something in your life and you're asking yourself, you know, what is God's purpose in this? And, and, and why is God allowing, uh, especially maybe a, a trying circumstance, you know, to happen? Um that theme in John's gospel speaks directly to you and, you know, to me uh, as we go through struggles that we may not always understand, uh, but God has a purpose. And that's where faith comes in. If we understand 
we don't need faith, right? We we know. Uh, but if, if we don't understand, then we can trust that God is good. Uh, he loves you and me. And he does have a purpose. And, and we need to persevere. Uh, like James says, count it all joy, because in the end, the trials uh, build in us steadfastness. And uh, we will trust God uh, even in times, in dark times, when, when, we, when we just cling to Jesus and, and you know, we, we don't see a way out uh, because God is faithful. And uh, he's shown that many times. Uh, Jesus is the ultimate proof of God's faithfulness because yeah. you have all those Old Testament covenants, right? Uh, and in the end, God sent Jesus to fulfill all the sacred agreements that he had with his people, Abraham, David, uh, in Old Testament times. So I think that, too, is part of John's message that he's saying, you know, uh, all those uh, covenants culminate in uh, Jesus' death and resurrection. Yeah, I think that's so encouraging and comforting, too, because uh, then then we look at, you know, a book like Hebrews that talks about Christ being a sympathetic, you know, high priest and, and this reality that, you know, the the pain and suffering that we see in the world, that it's a difficult it, it, to go through those things. And it comes for all of us. Uh, but to realize that, that the ultimate answer to that isn't some type of philosophical argument. It's the person of Christ, right? That uh, the son of God, uh, you know, fully human, fully divine, co-equal, co-eternal with the father was sent in human history, right? To, as you said, to fulfill those covenants in, in his life and in, in death to uh, be that perfect sacrifice, that substitutionary sacrifice of atonement for our sin on our behalf and to uh, bring us to glory, right? To sanctify us and, and to uh, bring us into the new creation, right? The, to bring us into that eschatological glory that was uh, held out to Adam that he failed to attain that Christ achieves, right? And so you can, you can see that uh, that's, that's what really motivates obedience, but also brings assurance, I think, of of salvation and, and just brings comfort and, and peace to believers that are going through those things is there's no, you know, magic bullet for feeling better, but to have the confidence and assurance and, and just to, to have a uh, greater faith, to be an encouragement to others, to, to say that one day as we look forward to the, to the new creation. And in my view, the author of the gospel, John's also the author of, the book of revelation, right? So that he shows you ultimately where, where Jesus takes you, right? Where there's no more pain and sorrow mm -hmm. and tears and uh, just to be in the unmediated presence of, of the living God who, who made you and to, to hold on to, to that promise is such a, a beautiful thing. And I think John really helps us do that. Yeah. He, uh, you know, Jesus suffered more than, uh, any one of us ever will. And uh, in the end, he hung on the cross, and his last words were, you know, it is finished. And that is just incredible that uh, he demonstrates that suffering is part of God's plan. And so that's been a great encouragement to me over the years as well, uh, that, uh, um you know, you shouldn't think when, when, when you're suffering that somehow you're out of God's will. You may be very much in God's will at that time. And, and Jesus told his disciples that they are blessed if they suffer for the right reasons, if they suffer for doing uh, what is right. Um, so, yeah, John can give great comfort and assurance, just like you mentioned. And, you know, First John is written to give believers assurance, right? I've written these things that you may yeah. know that you have eternal life. So John was all about assurance. This is not just you or I, you know, meditating on it. I mean, he intentionally wanted to reassure us that we can know that we have eternal life. And, and coming from a faith tradition where that is very much uh, kind of left open and, 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 and the church doesn't typically teach uh, eternal security and, and 
you know, assurance of salvation, I've come to treasure that, you know, that that that, that God doesn't want to leave us in the dark or mm-hmm. leave us kind of hanging, yeah. you know, what's going to happen. I mean, we have it, that blessed assurance. Yeah, that's really, really beautiful and powerful to think about. And, you know, before I ask you about some resources, you've mentioned a couple in our conversation already, but just kind of a final uh, question here before resources. Um, what has been something that's been the most encouraging um, in, in your own life as, as you've spent so much time in in the gospel of, of John? Um, what, why choose to kind of you know, specialize in John, if you will. And, and then just from a real practical standpoint, what makes you keep wanting to, to read it and to, to find, uh, just find life and in, in reading it that would be encouraging to, to our listeners. Yeah. I love the gospel of John. Uh, I love everything about it. Just the simplicity and the theological profundity, you know, one of the early church fathers called it the spiritual gospel. And uh, by that, he didn't mean yeah. the other gospels are unspiritual, <laughs> or I think he meant it's a theological gospel, meaning uh, John just takes more time to reflect purposely on, you know, what does it all mean? Uh, and so I think it challenges me, and I, I think it can challenge all of us. We're so busy, right, in our lives, and it challenges us to, to pause and to ponder uh, who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so I just find John's gospel incredibly devotional uh, and spiritually nurturing. And that's one of the many things I love about uh, John's gospel and about also John is the man. I feel like I, I look forward to meeting him in heaven. I feel like I've really <laughs> yeah. very well, just, you know, through the, the five books that he's bequeathed on us in the New Testament. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's great. So I'm, I'm going to link to the books that you mentioned, uh, Echoes of Scripture in the Gospel and then Signs of the Messiah. I'll make sure those get in the, in the show notes. Um, you also have a theology of God's, John's gospels and letters, the word of Christ, the son of God. So I'm going to, I'm going to link to, to those there. I think those are really helpful. Um, what, what would be, uh, maybe a couple other ones that, that you would recommend on the J- gospel of John? Uh, maybe, maybe there's pastors or Bible teachers listening that would yeah. want to know, Hey, what's a couple of your favorite commentaries or surveys, things like that, that would, uh, be helpful to them. Yeah, definitely. You know, study tools are so useful, uh, you know, in our personal study, in our sermon preparation. So I, I always make sure uh, when I teach uh, a lesson or, or preach a sermon that I that I find out, you know, what are some of the best tools. Uh, I would recommend, you know, the Gospel Coalition has actually free for download. Uh, commentaries on yeah. every book of the Old and the New Testament, and I had the privilege of writing the one on John. There's, uh, it, it, it's it, it's very, cl- it's a close reading of the text of John's Gospel, kind of unit by unit, mm-hmm. and there's not a lot of jargon. There's no footnotes. Okay, so I think it is, it's just kind of getting you into the the Gospel itself. Uh, so that would be something that, uh, you know, you can find very easily online. And like I said, it's free. I think there's plans. Uh, Crossway is hoping to publish a print version of of those in due course in one volume. So I mm. I love, you know, actually to get my hands on the, yeah. on the tangible books. I, I, I can't wait for that printed version. But in the meantime, we have it, you know, on, online. Uh, I also wrote a a book called Encountering John, which is used in many uh, college classes, and you know people use it in their personal study. Uh, when somebody at my at my church asks me, you know, what would you recommend, kind of as an initial entryway, I often recommend uh, Encountering John. It's part of the Encountering series, and mm-hmm. you know, other volumes uh, on Romans, Hebrews, and so forth as well. Um, and then I, I think I briefly touched on my biblical theology. That is a yeah. bit of a capstone volume for me. Uh, and of course, there I also have a, a lengthy discussion of John's gospel. That's really a resource which many uh, get uh, because it covers all 66 books of the Bible. And so it's it's 
few would read it cover to cover, but sure. but if you're studying, you know, uh, any book of the Bible, really, you'll find about you know five or ten pages of what is that book all about? What does the author want you to know about that particular book, and how does it relate to the biblical storyline yeah. uh, as a whole? So uh, I'm currently teaching a class on 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 that using that that book, you know, biblical theology in my church, and uh, I think that's been a wonderful. Uh, experience just to to have more of a big picture understanding of how you know does the canon how how do the sixty six books how do they all fit together yeah absolutely uh, 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 in the Bible and maybe finally uh, the Cradle of the Cross and the Crown is now in the second edition it is a an introduction to the New Testament and that's where we talk about things that we started out with you know authorship date purpose for writing, um, you know, who are the readers, that kind of thing. And so uh, I just uh, taught an online class last night, and I recommended to my student, they may want to get a New Testament and an Old Testament introduction just for that reason. Yeah. If they study a given book, like, say, a prophetic book, and we we're talking about prophecy last night, you know, you may know, not know anything about Hosea or Habakkuk, right? And so that would be a great quick entry point to get an Old Testament or New Testament introduction and to to get up to speed on on some of those uh, introductory matters that may not be mentioned in the book, but they are basically the background to that book that help you understand and interpret the book better. Now, that's great. Thank you for, for all of those resource recommendations. I'll make sure they make it into the show notes. And I really appreciate you joining me for this conversation. I, I pray it's edifying and encouraging to, to the people of God. So thank you, brother. You're welcome. Thanks so much, Caleb. Listeners, if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Share it with your friends and give it a good review, whether written or just clicking some stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It helps others find this show that may be interested in gospel-centered resources like this one. Also, if you have an idea for an episode or someone you'd like for me to interview, please reach out to me and let me know. Thank you, and may the Lord bless you and keep you.